0: It didn't take very long once I had started tutoring for me to recognize that what was underlying so many of my students' challenges was executive functioning issues. That's what I try to um, impress upon my students is no matter what grade they're in, this is just practice. This is practice for the thing that really does matter to you. This is practice for the challenge that presents itself when you're on the path toward what is meaningful toward you.
1: But the question is, what can we do to make this time valuable and it is about that learning to learn piece right Where yeah
0: exactly exactly how do i think,
1: how do I, how can i develop the executive functioning skills that are going to that i can use the rest of my life So, how how did you end up in the tutoring realm? What what drew you to that space?
0: So, I I have a bit of a, a winding story, um, and I'll I'll try to keep it brief. But I, I majored in psychology in undergrad, and that I would say is my true passion. Um, but of course, I was at a big university. I didn't have a lot of direction. I had no idea what I would do with that degree upon graduating. So I did what any law soul does and I went to law school <laughs> and I um I there found kind of my niche in family law because it, it really hit upon some of the things that had interested me about psychology. And I had prior to that, all I'd ever done was babysit. I just loved being with kids. I loved working with families. And I was like, yes, I will practice family law. That will be fantastic. And this was in Champaign where family law was practiced in a certain way. I come to Chicago and it's practiced in a very different way. Um, In Champaign, it was very collaborative. And at least what I saw was very friendly, you know, like it's a small community. Everybody from the lawyers to the parties are going to see each other again, you know, probably have similar friends. It's everybody's always working together. There's like one family law judge, you know? So, so everybody is comports themselves in a certain way, which is very, very different than how it's done in Chicago. And I'm, I'm not sure that there's not corners of cordial practice in Chicago. I just, didn't see it. Um, so I temperamentally, that was not for me. I'm not that big on conflict. And I definitely saw my, my goal in helping to mend the family, helping to heal a family. That was my, my interest. Um, not prolonging the divorce as long as much as possible so um the fate sort of aligned because I graduated from law school in 2008 and my job fell through and all my friends jobs fell through and it just gave me this chunk of time to kind of um, reflect upon what I wanted for myself what I wanted for my future there were no jobs to be had anyway so somewhat in an act of desperation and somewhat in um I kind of call it this like American beauty moment i not sure if you're familiar with the movie, but Kevin Spacey goes and gets the job with the least responsibility. And I decided to start babysitting again. My parents had a neighbor who had an infant and it was wonderful. And I just kind of, um, Reminded me how much I loved being with kids, so I did that for a couple of years. Um, I went back to school to get my teaching certificate in pursuit of you know a career in education. Now, and I realized when I was student teaching that I still just really enjoyed that one-on-one relationship with kids. Um, and so, upon getting my teaching certificate, that was the the route that I pursued when it came to education. I, I picked up some tutoring t- tutoring um, students, and. It didn't take very long once I had started tutoring for me to recognize that what was underlying so many of my students' challenges was executive functioning issues. I didn't know the term at the time. I didn't know that it was its own set of skills. I just saw that They were all struggling to get their assignments in on time. They were all, they, they, they lacked um, systems to keep track of their assignments. Um, so that was sort of where we started to put our time and energy and our focus in building these habits so that they could find success. And so that the actual subject matter deficiencies would be illuminated in a more, um, in a clearer way. You know, we could actually tackle them if, if you get your homework in on time, but you still don't get anything right well then let's talk about the math but if you got a zero because you just it never it never made it to your teacher's desk that's a totally different issue um so i i was doing that for a a minute and it became increasingly clear, clear to me that um if a child was having difficulty managing their executive functioning often mom would forget that we had an appointment or would have trouble getting the bill paid on time. And so I just started started to see how this was holistic and it was a family, um, something that I wanted to address with all parties of a family, if we could. The more involvement we got, the better. Um, and, and to my mind, there's something so empowering and so, um, meaningful about a parent saying, like, this is something that we struggle with, or this is something that I struggle with, I'm going to work on it, too. We're going to work on it together. Um, And so rather than seeing it as a deficiency, just a skill that needs to be practiced like any other skill. Um, So that's kind of how I landed where I am now, working with families on executive functioning and trying to do traditional tutoring and and test prep through that lens.
1: So you're the the owner of Chicago Family Tutor.
0: I'm a family tutor. That's right.
1: And how how much of a how much do you work with like one on one with young people versus with families? Is there like you know I
0: try I try to um, encourage all families to be involved. I tried very very I was a little bit relentless earlier <laughs> earlier in my career and um, that was not as effective as I would have hoped it would be. Um, And and to be honest, executive functioning is near and dear to my heart because it's something I myself have, you know, it ebbs and flows. And I've seen where deficiencies have have hurt me in my own life. And control is something that I have definitely latched onto and sometimes to make up for that. So I sort of had to take a step back and say, like, I can't make a family do what I think they need to do. Let's, Let's instead try to meet everybody where they are are and help in the way that we're asked to help and it, as much as we can so today I encourage all families to work together but oftentimes I'll get a call it says like please help my kid um and that's and that is what we have to go on and that's that's how we approach it and you know I encourage parents to maybe be a part of a 15-minute conversation in each session and sometimes they are game for it and sometimes they're not around when we have our sessions and so I have I've worked in make this a little bit more fluid in terms of accommodating every family so that they get the most out of our work together.
1: Yeah. It's a tough balance, right? Cause you, you can see the broader challenge and you know how much it could help not just the parents' executive functioning, but also just the relationships in the household yeah. and, um, for them not to want to bite. It's, it's interesting, but I think in our culture as a parent, you feel this responsibility to always be the source of information and always be kind of the the rock and the authority figure and a place to go and so very few people uh, that i know of are actually vulnerable with their children, right? Yeah, where it's like yeah. where open up the doors and like I didn't know my parents were people until I was like thirty. Right.
0: right? Yes. You're like, Oh, this explains so much. <laughs> <You're> <laughs>
1: like, Oh man, you you were twenty three when you had me? Like Oh my
0: goodness, yeah.
1: <laughs> and they were they were old for having kids at that time, right? Yeah, yeah. And so I think a lot of it was just a fake it till you make it. And, uh, you want your kids to think highly of you too, but I think one of the most valuable things you can do as an adult around a young person is share your story, be vulnerable yeah. and open it up because young people today, and it's probably been this way forever. Well, maybe not forever, but who knows? It's been this way for some <laughs> period of time that how can you build that relationship when it's built on one of like i am going to take care of you i'm going to keep you safe and i've rearranged my entire life in order to do that right um, right it it makes it much harder to than that kind of like we're in this together type approach
0: absolutely absolutely and I, and and I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because that is another um driving force in my work with kids is that i always i always joke that uh, starbucks says they're your third place you know after work and home then you've got starbucks and i like to consider myself and 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 the work that i do with my, my students kind of their their third place you know they've got their teachers they've got their parents and i hope you know obviously i hope our work together is effective and meaningful in terms of developing executive functioning, but I also um, hope that that the students I work with consider me a safe person, a safe place to come and to, um, you know, know that I'm not going to judge them. And I, I don't expect things of them, except that when they do make mistakes, that we can reflect on it and and think to the future, how might we do that differently next time? Um,
1: yeah, and I, I really appreciate you doing that because... In today's culture, between school, um, homework, sports, whatever, like, there is no time when. you aren't being judged in some type of way. There doesn't feel like that safe place of where you can just go be you. Every time you uh, do a slip up, someone's there to tell you about it. Uh, It's just, it's hard to find that kind of acceptance.
0: Yeah. Um, And it's so crucial for kids, you know, the importance of play and making mistakes. And I was really struck. I was listening to one of your more recent podcasts about uh, a child hanging up a coat and, and you say, yeah, that works, you know, and, and that's what I try to give my students time and space in our sessions is like, if you want kids to take action themselves, you have to let them experiment and find the way that works for them. You can have perfection, but you may not get follow through or you are, you can expect perfection, but that really involves a lot of parental um, involvement. And to do it the way that you want it to be done as a parent, that means you have to do it but if you give your kids some room to fall down make some mistakes learn some lessons there may come a time when they take ownership of it themselves because they trust that whatever they try may not be successful but it won't be ridiculed or corrected they won't be embarrassed by it they'll have the space to learn from it.
1: Yeah, I don't know if I don't know how long the theory's been around, but self-determination theory is a school of thought in psychology that to build that kind of inner compass and that uh, self motivation, uh, people need to have clear challenges. So they know kind of what needs to happen. They need to have the resources and skills to do it. And they need to know that if they if they go after it and they fail, someone's going to be there to pick them up, give them a hug, you know, wipe them down and, and help them get back into the game.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's huge. That's what I always encourage parents, you know, regardless of their level of involvement in our work directly, I really try to encourage parents to not shelter their children from the challenges that may confront them, But rather to be the soft place where the kids can land if things get off track, you know, and to offer a sounding board to problem solve and reflect and devise a
1: plan for next time. Yep. How are we going to learn from this? Right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And sometimes in, you know, that's another way, like we have people come into the schools and we ask them to like share their story and, you know, what's your hero's journey and share about, a, you know, sometimes where, where you may have a fallen down and everybody wants to, it's almost like a job interview, right? Everyone wants to share the story about like, <laughs> well, I, I fell down, but then I got up so much stronger and I went back in. And,
0: right, that's, right. That's, and then that's I was the a... king of the hill and the end. Ta-da! Big applause line.
1: I and mean, that's just not how some of it goes. Sometimes yeah. you, you take a beating and you kind of get back up and slink away. And sometimes that's just the way it goes. right? Absolutely. Absolutely. We can, have, we can have aspirations and we can push ourselves towards those, but we also need to accept sometimes things just didn't go our way and go back and lick our wounds and right. figure, out, figure out a new path.
0: That, and that's what's really important to me, I guess, is um, helping students to, to develop that quiet self-worth, you know, the, the, the feeling of I've got this, I'm capable, I'm competent regardless of what happens outside of me. You know, whether I fail, whether there's applause or whether it's just just like quiet contentment I feel okay with who I am and how I do things and I know that I can confront the challenges that present themselves to me
1: and that's the type of mindset that we work on It's not about building, but it's enabling the brain fields, right? Where it's like, here's the challenges, you know, we believe in you. We often believe in you more than you believe in you, Uh, you know, but uh, go out there and give it a chance and build a community that shows like when, when people see you trying hard and you fall down, uh, they're not going to point and laugh, you know, they're going to, they're going to pick you up and say, good job. Is there anything I can do to help you? You know, or, Hey, I tried this. If you want to try that sometime, or, you know, give feed, like feedback loops is something that is not well nurtured in conventional education. Right? Absolutely. It's more, yeah. Your, your feedback loop is your grade, right? Here's right. My right. Word. Yeah. There's, there's your C. Too bad. So sad. Let's move on. Right. You right. Know? And I, I remember I was never. I never gravitated towards writing. And so I remember in college, I was like, all right, this paper, I'm really going to focus on it. And well, actually, we can go back to high school first. So the most effort I put into a paper in high school was probably junior year. And I... It was, apparently it was obvious to the teacher that I didn't put in much work into my writing prior to that because the feedback I got in Red Pen was um, fluffy, questionable original wording. <laughs> oh, no. um, so now I put in enough work, and now you're going to say I'm plagiarizing. Like yeah. <laughs> That's, and that's then that,
0: a nice way of accusing you of plagiarizing, at least.
1: <laughs> right? Questionable original. I'm not saying it isn't yours, but. It certainly doesn't sound like anything you ever wrote before. And, and I, in a economics, I can't remember which class it was, some economics class in college. Um, again, I'm like, okay, I really care about this topic. I'm going to write, like, put a lot of work into doing this paper. And... It comes back, and I can't remember the name of the paper, but it, then it was like by comma Rob Hughey, and he uh, circled the comma that I had there and said an omen of things to come. So <laughs> instead of like all this original thought I put into this uh, economic theory, I just got hammered with grammar.
0: Oh and my gosh! All,
1: hmm.
0: How discouraging.
1: And I think that's a, you know, we, we, as, as humans, we project, right? And so it's like my experience must be the same experience everybody else is having. But I can see it in young people that... Once they first starting to write, a lot of that, like writer's block comes from this fear of I'm putting what's in my head out on a piece of paper that anybody can read. <laughs> how, like, how emotionally vulnerable am I making myself in this moment? I, and I think that's one of the key reasons of not pushing grammar hard when they're young like yeah. you're, gonna get, you're gonna get to it right we'll, we'll, we'll get to that but if you can tell a story if you can get those ideas in your head out on paper and you feel confident about that it's the same thing with professional authors right it's like yeah. you have a copy editor you have a team who's working on that side of things right it's get your get your story out and yeah uh, and uh, so that's what we try to focus on. Of course, then all the parents are like, they can't spell it all. Did you see that comma splice? <laughs> I'm like, it's going to be okay. It's going to yeah. be okay. I,
0: I know. I That is something I'm definitely torn on because I do, um, that is tested for the uh, selective it's enrollment a, exams. Uh, yeah. And so I applaud in some respects the decision not to really beat that drum. But I also think if you're not going to teach the kids how to do it, you can't test them then on it. It seems like a a double bind there. But I absolutely agree. And um, I'm not sure what author, you know, maybe Anne Lamont or, you know, someone of that nature calls it their. SFD, and she doesn't use the word shoddy, but that's the word I use, shoddy first draft. And it is, it's, you know, I think, and I I was just as guilty of this as a student and as a writer of thinking that you sit down and you write a perfect paper, and then you submit that, and you're a genius, and you've done it perfectly, and then you hear professional writers talk about it and you joke about how writing is editing and you get those thoughts down and then you work tirelessly to rework it, rework it, rework it. And unfortunately, I think writing is really difficult to teach to students because again, it's just something that comes along and takes time. And I always kind of laugh when it comes to executive functioning skills or something like writing, how we have this awareness that a musical instrument is gonna take a long time to get good at and a sport is gonna take a lot of practice and you just continue to show up. But we do not have that same mentality when it comes to learning things and getting better at, you know, academic skills, at least as far as I can see, you know, again, I, I work with students who just are so quick to say, I'm not a good writer. And it's only because they sit down, they want to write a paper in 30 minutes. They want to turn it in and get an A. And that's really just not what writing is, or at least not how you write successfully.
1: It's like art. Like, how do you get, like, and I saw this on a transcript, like a first grader who got a C in art, like... How do you even come up with the grade? Like I don't, you know. And I, I, then I feel like so much of the teaching and the curriculum style ends up being a paint-by-numbers type yeah. thing to make it easy for everyone. You know, we have the five-paragraph essay, right? And this is what needs to go in what order. Uh, well, I'm just airing all my old laundry today, too. Another paper that I got, <laughs> I was I was proud of. Um, I wrote in the. What would be the second person? I always get all those people confused. Um (laughs) But it wasn't first so it was like you, right? So right, yeah, second person. Yeah, so second person. And (laughs) I thought it was great. And the feedback I got was you don't write in the second person. I do. So that's first person. <laughs> yeah. But I did. Now, this, is, this is the same teacher who, he liked to think of himself as a funny guy. And yeah. so he's up, at the, he's up at the front of the class and he says, the humor in this class. And I said, leave something to be desired. <laughs> And, and he took the you know old school eraser with the chalk seal on uh-huh. it and hurled it at my head, um, and I caught it right in front of my face in like this plume of chalk oh, dust. Wow. And it was just like I've had the most interesting experiences with instructors.
0: It sounds like <laughs> it. I, I, you know, what? I was in a classroom once where a teacher also threw an eraser. That must have been something that they stopped teaching in education school because I was not there the day that that was taught. <laughs>
1: Uh, <laughs> all right. So here's the PE portion of right. teaching. Here's the appropriate way to throw an eraser. <laughs>
0: I appreciate you saying that, you know, the paint by numbers, because I do, you know, to tear some of my own dirty laundry. And I feel like that is what I perfected. If you look at my grades of every iteration, you know, every time chunk of my, my schooling, whether it's middle school, high school or college, I started off shaky and by the end was getting straight A's. So really what I think I learned is how to succeed in that particular time and space. And so that is another reason that executive functioning is near. And dear to my heart because I, I didn't have the skills necessary I didn't have skills to take with me to apply to the next challenge. I just figured out what these teachers wanted for me and I gave it to them and I, I'm not saying there's not value in that you know sometimes that is what a job requires sometimes that is what a relationship requires. sometimes that is a skill that is that is a skill and it's valuable but it didn't help me when I got into new and unfamiliar territory.
1: I, I can give you the where it doesn't work from an at least an academic standpoint. Yeah. I mean, my old boss Josh, if you're listening, hello. <laughs> uh, his mother was a teacher, and so this was when he was in. High school, I think. And uh he had a paper that was finished getting ready to turn in, just laying out on the table. And his mom picked it up and read it and she got really mad and she went up to him and he's like, This is horrible. Like what I said, Mom, 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 calm down. What do you think about the title? And she's like, The title's great, but it's like that's not what you write about. And he's like, good title though, right? How about how about the first paragraph? What- <laughs> What do you think about that? She's like, again, like I think you nailed the first paragraph, but everything after it just falls apart. Okay, yeah, yeah, but good first paragraph, right? How about how about the conclusion, Mom? What do you What did you think about the conclusion? She's like, it was a great conclusion, but it didn't relate to of the stuff you wrote. I said, Mom, I'm going to get an A, and she said, if you get an A, I'm pulling you out of that class. Wow. He got an A. Wow. He had figured out the game that, yeah. you know, the, the teacher is going to go and read the first paragraph and the last paragraph and ignore the whole middle and, oh my gosh. and uh, so he figured that out. Um, wow. And, you know, it's a, it's something we were talking about test prep earlier, but like it's that there is a skill in hacking something, right? In figuring out what's the fastest way to get through this thing that needs to get done. Um, It doesn't build that authenticity and that love of learning, but I don't know, well, I know where I feel about it, but it's like, where does the blame belong for that? Was it him and not doing it? Was the teacher in only doing those parts? Was it the whole structure of the system that was put in place? Um, how are we helping young people develop their writing skills? I, there, there's so many questions that get begged, but what ends up getting asked is, uh, well, it was obviously the fault of the teacher and the student. And mm-hmm. so, you know, we'll fire the teacher and we'll uh, put the kid in detention and the system lives on. Right, right, um, yeah. When they were both products of the system, right? Yes, absolutely. If someone who's having to grade forty—well, that's if he's doing one class. If if he was doing three or four or five classes, you know, needs to grade three, four hundred papers. Um, what do you expect's going to happen? Uh, exactly. You know, and uh, as a kid who doesn't understand the purpose of any of it. Right, right. I'm just, I'm just getting grades. Like, that's yeah. all. The, the, the This game, it's been made clear to me that grades is the only thing that matters. Nobody actually cares if I learn anything or do anything. In fact, did, did you, we just, uh, did a screen of the movie Most Likely to Succeed?
0: Oh, okay. No, I I'm, I'm not familiar with that.
1: Um, I think it's uh, free with Prime on Amazon right now. Oh, fantastic.
0: Um, I'll check it out.
1: Uh, Yeah, Ted Dintersmith uh, produced it um, and wrote a book along with someone else. I think he had a co-writer on it. Uh, But one of the things that really strikes me about it is – I should write this down because I can never remember which school school or which district it was. Um, But they took a – and did the year test that kids had taken in the spring. And two months later, given them the same test, except we weeded out the stuff that was like too minute to actually expect them to understand. And the average grade went from a B to an F. Wow. And so that's after showing like, look how much I learned. Yeah, yeah. But if you define learning as something that you can recall or remember, then you actually didn't learn anything. Yeah, yeah. And that's a, I think that's a damning indictment of how we pretend to measure knowledge or measure Yeah, yeah.
0: It is. I mean, that is one thing that makes me sad. And and this opens up a whole other can of worms of why tutoring was more attractive to me than classroom teaching. Um, But I I have a student who I, I saw last night, actually, and she's in third grade. She's the most enthusiastic learner I've ever met in my whole life, adults included. She just has a passion for it and she loves to engage in the process. And last night she said to me, well, I always do my work on Wednesdays, but now they've started this lottery so that you do your work and then you can get a prize. She goes, I think it's so sad that the teachers have to bribe the kids to do their homework. And I was like, well, not everyone's like you. Not everyone's as excited as you are. But I think to kind of your point earlier that, you know, everyone's doing what they need to do either to be rewarded when it comes to a good grade or to just get by, you know. Teachers have so many students. Kids have so many... Obligations. Parents are so overextended that everybody is just doing what is necessary to maybe not even succeed, just to survive. In so many, in so many instances, and it's, it's hard to watch. And it does sap the joy out of learning completely. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's one of the things that we, we focus on is like school isn't or shouldn't be something to survive, right? Yeah. This, is, this is a time to learn how to thrive and we need to recapture childhood, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's been just like totally taken away. When I look at, you know, especially high school students, uh, you know, they wake up early, they travel to school, they do school for seven hours, uh, they have a couple hours at home work. They're having to do a sport team and or volunteer or something. Um, and so maybe they get to squeeze in dinner with the family, maybe not. Uh, and then they go to bed and crash at midnight and rinse and repeat. And they right, do it over right. and over. And we wonder why people struggle with this, you know, work-life balance And type thing. Well, what are we training them to do? And, uh, and it's all in the name of college prep. And then when you get to college, you go to class for an average of 12 hours and you do 15 hours of homework and that's it. So you have no idea how to even manage your life outside of that.
0: Absolutely. that's I, I can't speak to the internal experience of most of my students, but, you know, I know what I see and I know what I experienced and it was going through the motions mostly out of fear, not even in the pursuit of something that I was excited about. Just, you know, if I don't get this grade, if I don't do well on these tests and it was always catastrophic, catastrophic, you know, I will be homeless. No one will love me. I will die alone in a gutter, you know, and I've heard some of my students reiterate similar sentiments and it makes me so sad to hear them feel that way because fear is a powerful motivator but it's not very inspiring you know and it's difficult to see kids i care about endure that same pain
1: have you heard of high tech high no so that's a high school, uh, I think it's a group of high schools now in uh, Southern California. It's the uh, most likely to, to succeed followed a group there. Um, but in that movie, one of the pieces. So th- this is a charter sc- charter high school. So these are kids who came up through normal type schooling, and then they go into this very project based, interdisciplinary, oh, cool. um, Socratic method. A lot of the stuff like what Greenfields does. And so they're interviewing them for the documentary, and uh, one of the students was like super mad that the the homework guide got taken away. And I, because how am I supposed to get my grades? Well, do you really care about the the grade or would you rather have like learned that you can do something really amazing? And all of them were like the grade. Yeah, right.
0: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's terrible, but it's funny because it's so relatable and it just, you know, we have lost, I think, sight of the forest for the trees or. However, that saying goes, you know, that that there are certain things that are widely acknowledged and applauded, and they're all external rewards, and it's that internal stuff that can't be measured that sometimes the most important. And you know, at the at the risk of airing really dirty laundry, like I find myself continuing to struggle with that, um, you know, because I continued to accumulate degrees, and now I've found work that I've loved, but I don't work forty hours a week, and so there's part. me that's like well how do I make this bigger how do I do more how do I make this more visible and every once in a while I'm lucky to have a husband who recognizes it me and I I recognize it in him but we don't always recognize it for ourselves where he like is like slow down do you get to spend your days reading and writing and engaging with kids you love yes why isn't that enough I don't know why that's not enough because it's not you know it's not more and I'm programmed to want more
1: (laughs) It's certainly a part of our culture. Um, It's one of my biggest complaints about Wall Street, right? Where Wall Street doesn't actually add value anywhere right they're not actually running the companies they're speculating and and the companies have to constantly grow or die because the only way that the the stock price increases is if you think that it's going to do better than i think it's going to do then you're willing to pay me uh, (laughs) my number so you can have it at a higher number to sell to somebody else and so i feel like we do take really healthy organizations and companies and destroy them in the name of you have to grow.
0: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yes, definitely. And it's, it's stressful, you know, and I find myself and and I see my students and their families. It's easy to like lose yourself in that. I think we all become a little bit addicted to those feelings of go 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 and sometimes to have those quiet moments with yourself to really like turn inward and reflect can be very hard and very uncomfortable it's just not the world we live in today and so it feels very foreign
1: yeah it's uh and like we like to complain about when we were in school and it's only gotten like 15 times harder right, right. oh my god <laughs> And everything that's been put in place, it's all been about, well, just make them do more. Right. You know? I was going to say, and nothing's been taken out, but that's not true. Like, shops got taken out. Uh, You know, actually making stuff has been taken out. Right, right. Music's been taken out of a lot of school programs. Like, these other things that, you know, we've really narrowed it down to, like, two intelligences, right? And it's like, if you aren't good at these two things, then... You're not worthy, but we're we're gonna make you feel really bad about it for about 16 years, um, and then, and then you can go do what you want to do. Um, if you don't even know
0: how at that point, or if
1: you even remember hour, what right. you
0: love to do, yeah.
1: So one one of the things I did want to talk about today is you know you get a chance to work with kids who go to a bunch of different schools. Um, what. Can you tell, like, are they having different types of experiences in the different types of schools that they go to? Are there different challenges that come out of the different types? Like, as a tutor, you're kind of brought in when something isn't going quote-unquote as expected,
0: right? Right, right. Well, I mean, yes, there's lots of very different experiences. I work with students at private schools. I work with students at Catholic schools. I work with students at public schools. And, you know, uh, it does make a difference, the the resources that a school has to offer. So sometimes I work with students who have learning resources available to them at school. and, And in the private schools, maybe they have a smaller classroom so they get more attention. Um, And so it it does it does vary. But I will say that, you know, this particular set of school skills, the executive functioning, really, it, it kind of transcends whatever is going on in school. I would say there are some schools that I think are better about addressing these needs and even when it comes to really simple stuff like color coding folders or writing assignments on the board and requiring students to take out their assignment notebook and write it down, um, which I really appreciate. I know it seems, it seems dated and all the kids are like, but I do it on my computer. And I'm like, well, that'd be fine if you were getting your homework turned in, but considering that you're not, maybe let's, talk about some other strategies um so i would say that um you know in terms of where i could see kids being the most successful it is it is more project-based environment it is places where they do have some leeway and some freedom to explore larger ideas rather than the more detail oriented stuff that requires a lot of um what's the word I'm looking for? Just a, uh, the the expectation. I think this is where where we I've often see my students running into trouble and, and schools often getting in trouble is this expectation that because you're in eighth grade, you know how to do this. Right. Instead of recognizing that like you are an eighth grade student and some of your peers do know how to do this, but because you're Struggling with it, we need to give you tools and strategies to help support you as you develop these skills. Not, you know, scold you and punish you because you've got, you you don't have them. Um, they just take time and practice and attention and parental support and teacher support. And so, obviously, in schools where kids. <laughs> Just get more attention, you know, and that's not to say in, in big schools that that teachers aren't absolutely doing their best. It's just an inherent challenge with having a lot of students is you just are your your resources to provide to one particular student are limited. Um, so the more support a school can provide, the better off a student is. But that's not to say that uh, a student is struggling in a large school. There's no hope. And, you know, it just it takes a little bit more Work at
1: home, I think. I think the story you shared earlier of, you know, if that family is capable of giving that support, right? Because a lot of time with executive functioning stuff, some of that's just inherited problems. Um, Or if it's not, I they see it also as a weakness right yeah where, yeah where, you know hey i didn't have that problem like so this this is obviously an effort issue you're just not trying hard enough
0: exactly and you know sometimes it's it's um it's cyclical because disruptive family events can lead to trouble in formulating these skills. And if mom or dad um, or, you know, the guardians are distracted, they don't have the ability to be present and provide that. But that is the situation that is perpetuating this. So, you know, at, at the risk of shamelessly endorsing ourselves, that's why that's why we exist, you know, and as soon as I think that that's just valuable, period, even if mom and dad have all the time in the world, that it's just a a neutral third party that comes in. And, you know, I I would like to think I never hound a child, but I, I would imagine that sometimes they may feel that I am bothering them or asking things of them that they'd rather not do. And it does make it easier if I leave, you know, mom and dad or are, are, uh, guardians are going to be there. And so you want to preserve that relationship. So sometimes it's easier to just have someone who's not in the home being that person. Uh,
1: yeah, I, I think the, even the words I think most kids would use are different of what their parents, how their parents talk to them versus a different adult saying the exact same thing. Exactly,
0: yes, yes. I I buy a dollar for every mom who said, I tell him that all the time, and I'm like, yes, I'm sure you do, but (laughs) there's just something about a parent child relationship that makes what you say sometimes easier to discard, and sometimes much, much harder to discard, you know, so it's a nice balance, I think, between it not... resonating quite as deeply because my love and attention and acceptance of you is not reliant on you doing anything for me and i'm a neutral party coming in and saying like i'm observing this this is what i see here you may have heard this before
1: yeah it's a <laughs> yeah we see it all the time you yeah know, sure like, and it's just like and as a parent the real hard part it you don't want to inflame it, right? It's right, like, right. Oh, so that's what Lindsay told you.
0: Great. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, a, that's, yeah. A, that's
1: a great idea. No, I wish totally. I would have thought of
0: that. <laughs> I mean I don't have kids, but I am
1: married, so I know exactly how that goes. <laughs> wow, that's brilliant. I wish I had thought of that. <laughs> can you can you tell it to me again? Maybe I'll write yes, it down Yes, That sounds so smart. <laughs> Yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. And you know what I think another um aspect of that that is difficult to deny is especially with bright kids and particularly as kids get older, they do recognize if you are asking something of them that you're not willing to do yourself, you know, or that you haven't been able to master yourself. And so there is that disconnect sometimes and and, and it's so easy. We're all human, we all have our weaknesses. But I think kids are particularly in tune to parental inconsistencies. You know, how can, how can you tell me to do that when I know that you're not
1: doing it yourself? Do as I say, not as I do.
0: Yes, exactly. Which is a not very effective way of doing things. <laughs>
1: why? Why? Why should I? Why should I do that? Because I told you so.
0: <laughs> right. Right.
1: We all on a part at some point. Uh, yeah. Oh, I'm
0: not saying yes. And that's that's something I try to emphasize to my parents. Is the parents I work with is you know I'm not a parent. It's really easy for me to say you just do this. Ta da! You know. But I think what's most important is to have a goal that you're working toward and a set of maybe maybe even aspirational goals and your habits and your um, consistent behaviors are closer to what you're striving for than those terrible days where you do that exact thing you said you weren't going to do anymore. You know, we all have those. That's part of being human and you allow yourself to be human, but you still strive as much as you can to get closer to what the goal is.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Now it makes a parenting is a is a tricky animal. Uh-huh.
0: I, I mean, I, I, I observe it and it does seem that once you've mastered one corner of it, your kid grows and, and changes and then you've got a whole new challenge. And one thing I do lament is I think it's an amazing opportunity to learn and grow as a person, to be a parent, you know, the what your kids reflect back to you, the ways in which you see yourself reflected in addition to all the new unique components that your children bring. I just think that it makes, it makes her an unbelievable, you know, journey.
1: Yeah, you can't, it's really hard to explain to somebody and everybody says it, like having children changed my life, right? Um, well, it did in ways that are so kind of foundational and subtle that having the words for them is, is difficult, right? It's just like, you know, here's how I looked at the world from point A. Now I find myself on point Q and I like the whole world just looks different. Everything, well, it's kind of the same and familiar. I'm definitely seeing it from a completely different viewpoint.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and there's something just so magical and joyous about that too, to see the world from through your children's eyes and to help them navigate. And, you know, you hope, impart the wisdom that you've gained from your experience but i think that's the tricky balance is how do you impart the wisdom you've gained and then also let them live their own life and face their own challenges and stumble on their own and get back up on their own you know of course knowing that you're there to love and support them but that you can't walk their path for them
1: yeah it's a what's the phrase um you, as a parent, you are the bow, and the the child is the arrow. Oh, I've
0: never heard so that before. That's good.
1: You, you can launch it. Uh, you launch them off into the world, but you don't have any other control after that. Right? Yeah,
0: yeah. Oh gosh, and it sounds terrifying. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm constantly amazed at how many analogies we have uh, are all around military type things. Uh, <laughs> You know, hit, hit the target on the
0: front lines because <laughs> you're dealing with a bunch of insurgents. That's why.
1: <laughs> I, one, one other piece, of, you know, this is a, we're recording this during Mental Health Month. Um, I'd imagine there's a lot of. Reasons people end up struggling with their schoolwork and end up needing a tutor. Um, we've talked a lot about the executive functioning side, and I think everyone can guess it, like the knowledge kind of gaps that that show up or uh, just need to be filled in one way or another. How much mental health challenges do you find uh, as you're working with a student and unwinding it? Is that something that uh, you see as, as a, a, a problem that we need to address in a bigger way, or is it more like... Like eh, the kids all right.
0: Um, you know, I just—it it is. It's an integral part of it. It is, and I, and and even hearing you describe it as a problem, which I think is really common, is that it's just—it's again, it's part of being human. We all have—we all have mental health. And sometimes it's good. And sometimes it, we struggle. Um, I will say, we often get our clients through a diagnosis such as anxiety or ADHD. And so that's really where executive functioning is very visible, very prevalent. I am, my my goal is to bring this awareness to the general population as a set of a set of skills that we all have, that we all can continue to um, work on. You know, they've said, I've, I've read that it contributes to longevity, you know, if you can maintain your, Executive functioning skills as an elderly person, you're more likely to live longer. So it it applies to everyone. But I do think that when it comes to learning, it's impossible to separate mental health from the rest of the picture because if your emotions are getting in the way, you know, not to get too sciencey, but all of your executive, executive functioning and higher order thinking takes place in your prefrontal cortex. And so when your emotions flood your brain, you're taken immediately out of that part of your brain, you're taken back into the more primitive parts of your brain and you react from a place of primitive reaction, you know, you're, you're emotionally flooded. So regardless of a, uh, a student's pr- unique and personalized struggles, there's just this, I think, this human element that is not as accounted for in traditional education. You know, it's based on that factory model of bells ringing, content, tests, rinse and repeat, and who people are and how they learn, how they think, how they feel, what's going on at home are pieces of the puzzle that cannot cannot be removed. And some kids are better at overcoming that than others. Some kids have more stable home lives that give them a sense of stability that allow them to approach it from a, a safe and stable um, perspective. But let's be honest, most kids don't. Most kids have something in their lives that is challenging, whether it's a relationship, whether it's their home life, whether it is a, a diagnosis, you know, whatever it may be, most kids aren't showing up of school just saying, I can't wait to learn today. So it's something that needs to be considered in conjunction with teaching any any anyone. I was gonna say any child, but anyone.
1: I think that most kids actually show up at school the opposite way, where they're looking to nurture their mental health, whether they know it or not. Yeah. They're there to hang out with their friends and to talk with them about things and exactly.
0: to feel good about themselves. Yes, absolutely. So I think it is it is something that has unfortunately been systematically removed from the process. But it really, if we were to find a way, and it sounds like you guys do, and other schools are continuing to work toward that, to really weave that into the process, I think we'd have much happier more well-adjusted kids who who are prepared to thrive in the world outside
1: of school. Well, I couldn't have said it better myself. Um, <laughs> no,
0: well, it like, sounds like you I'm, are putting it into
1: practice yourself. We we certainly we certainly try. Um, got a couple of new things going to try out with our high school students next year. Um, one is kind of introducing the idea of the wellness wheel um, and like give them some like life frameworks about like how to think about life and you as a whole person. And so even if it's something that we're not directly covering or talking about in school, like it's still something you know that you need to be looking at and and if you want to be in a good state of well-being
0: yeah yeah
1: right i'm trying yeah. to be like using happy and in, in those types of yes words. yes
0: oh i think that like I, something that i have really clicked into is just contentment contentment and peace as late. and <laughs> to be honest it feels really boring sometimes but it feels nice it feels nice it's a nice boring but it's not the the ups and downs that i think we do become accustomed to
1: when when I was younger, I thought content was a bad word. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think but, it goes back to that like always need more. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah exactly. Oh, it's content. Like, like yeah. oh, this is good enough. It can be better. Um, <laughs> and that's you know something
0: that I emphasize increasingly as I as as I kind of figure out what the the sweet spot is for so many of the families that we work with is, you know, what does your sleep schedule look like? What is your exercise schedule? When are you eating? What kind of foods are you eating? And I know it sounds so cliche because it's it's emphasized in all, in all the health classes, but without that by foundation, it's very difficult to build upon it in a healthy and sustainable way.
1: I think some of it goes to underlying issues again, right? Where yeah you know, well, staying up late is the only time I get to myself where I'm not being judged. right? And so it's kind of like my safe place is when I'm alone in my room and everyone else has gone to bed.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I I relate to that. I completely, you know, I can totally understand that, but it is, it is difficult then to have a successful next day if you're not operating on an adequate amount of sleep. And then, and then all uh these things repeat themselves. It's so cyclical.
1: yeah and then i like that junk food is the only like rush i get during the day yeah so it's, yeah you know, and the, the, this this horrible behavior that's horrible for my mental health is the only thing that feels like it's giving me any amount of mental health yeah There's yeah. to be like the things coming to a head in a, in young people's minds yeah
0: and i you know what i have so many students who will like pride themselves on they don't eat all day, you know, and, and not, not in an eating disorder sort of way, but just like they get distracted, they're on the go, they don't have breakfast, they get to school, they're just go, 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 go. And then they'll have like a snack after school. And they wonder why they can't sustain attention throughout the day. Um, and you know, I think especially parents of high schoolers are like, well, they're older and they don't want to be told what to do by me. And, and I totally get that. Yeah. And again, as a non-parent, I still think it's valuable to encourage them, but I think what's really More important as the kids get older is continuing to educate them on the importance, and not just you know in a food pyramid sort of way, but like let's check in. How are you feeling having not eaten all day? Do you feel a little crabby by any chance? Or you know, just just tell me how how that's going for you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's one of our jobs as guides is to hold up the mirror, right? Yeah, yeah. uh, So how's that working for you? How do you feel about that?
0: Exactly, Uh, exactly.
1: And. I used to fast uh, two days <laughs> a, a month, and uh, my coworkers would just be like, "Please, just eat something!" Like, "Oh my gosh, like you are so crabby right now." Like.
0: It's really funny you say that. Our neighbor in Wisconsin just encouraged me to do a 36-hour fast, and my husband looks at me and goes, "Why don't you do that when I'm not around?" Oh <laughs> 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 yeah, I mean, it is a universal truth. <laughs> Well, and, me, and a much easier piece to put into place, I think. You know, habits are hard to build, but if it's a matter of eating an apple rather than sitting down and studying for an hour, I'd say eating the apple is the easier thing to do right now. And it's just building those little pieces upon little pieces.
1: Yeah, my <laughs> eldest man, you go down into his room and I look in his trash can, and it's like, where did you get this stuff? And when did you eat it? Like, this is like, I'm, I'm getting physically nauseous looking at the amount of sugar that used to be in those (laughs) containers.
0: That's what my sister was. She was like a little squirrel in her room. We'd open a drawer and there's like a bag of gummy bears and, you know, like, and it's like, we were not really permitted to have a lot of junk food, but she found it, you know, where there's a will, there's a way.
1: (laughs) She knew where it was. (laughs) Um, So it's been great talking to you today, Lindsay. Uh, Great
0: talking to you, Rob. Thank you so much for, for having me today.
1: Yeah, we uh, we got started right off the bat. I didn't even get a chance to welcome you to the podcast. So uh, <laughs> welcome, very okay, welcome, welcome, nonetheless. And uh, well, hi and bye. Is that a? <laughs> 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 but uh, again, Lindsay is the owner at the Chicago Family Tutor. Lindsay, if they're interested in uh, contacting you, what what's going to be the best way for them to do that?
0: Well, you can email me at Lindsay. That's L-I-N-D-S-A-Y. At the Chicago Family tutor.com. And you can find us on Facebook at the Chicago Family Tutor or Instagram at the Chicago Family Tutor as well. And our website is the Chicago Family tutor.com. So at least we keep it pretty easy, straightforward, consistent.
1: Yeah. No, I... <laughs> Now, I, I think I'm going to make a guess here that you, it was very deliberate for you to call yourself the Chicago family tutor because you wanted to be working with whole families. Exactly. Even if that's not as much as you don't get to do that as much as you think would be helpful right now.
0: But plant <laughs> that seed, you know, and let everyone come to it in their own time. <laughs>
1: It's very, uh, very meditative of you. Very zen.
0: Yes. I try. I have my moments. I try. It's a it's put, put a, it it, not it, a science. A,
1: <laughs> yes. you're, you're putting an out uh, exactly, the exactly. invitation. To <laughs> Great. Well, uh, thanks again for uh, joining us today. Uh, good luck with everything you do. Well, thank uh, you, Rob. You too. And uh, everybody else, we will uh, we'll talk to you again on the next episode.